Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice. And instead, it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown, they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion, seeking justice for the death of his cousin. Institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM, and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So Derek, you are driving into the parking lot of your apartment complex in your van. You just shut off your van and you can hear the engine ticking. And you know, around this time usually is when your mom has dinner sometimes it's ready to get the table most of the time your father's already eaten sitting on that chair watching tv with his dinner tray or your mom and your mom will have your dinner wrapped up in tinfoil sitting in the oven for you you see the first floor window main picture window of the apartment of her apartment is gently lit has you see through the curtains, the curtains are like an orangish brown color, but when the light goes through it, it gives us this warm ambiance from within. And you know that yours is right above there and you see your lights are off as normal. What's going on in your head with everything that has happened in this day? Uh, quite a bit has happened. You made progress on this case. How is Derek processing it? Uh, I would think Derek is very exhausted because it's so much to take in the past few days. It's it isn't as physically exhausting as his previous job, but it de- definitely drains him currently. Is that weird mental exhaustion that just yeah, yeah. Kind of takes a Precisely. toll on you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he probably has like uh, thoughts in his head, like uh, I, I need to figure out how I will do my taxes from now on and whatnot. <laughs> like he hasn't called anyone about financial stuff. Is he trying to compartmentalize like the weirdness of, of this whole thing? Just like the knowing that somehow this is tied to your cousin's death, you know, talking to this uh, preacher, this uh, former headmaster of the school who seemed to be on edge when the name of Welkstetter was brought up, who, by the way, is the ex-husband of your benefactor in a weird way. And also the fact that you know that two of your coworkers, for lack of a better term, teammates are potentially driving up an hour to a school to do something illegal to get information or is he just like is him thinking of his taxes kind of like okay i'm gonna put that back in the back of my head and not think about that right now because i'm already got enough going on 
No, I think he, he has had like a few instances where he was kind of shook by what is happening around him. But the thing is, at work, he has like his people he feels like he can trust, uh, particularly uh, Michael, who has the expertise as well. Is it like yeah, a-, a couple of things, um, like talking to the preacher, uh, I don't think it that really shook him. Like he probably feels kind of giddy about that. You know, Michael was so certain that they made progress there yeah but talking um i forgot his name what was the keith galloway no the the 11 year old boy that we talked to toby lancaster no toby lancaster's missing boy uh yeah no his friend i mean jason 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 yeah yeah. um what what he told what he uh said in that conversation was definitely like uh heavy like that weighs on Derek, i would say and he's not sure what to think about that because he's lacking answers right now. So the thought of that, there was probably uh, sexual abuse going on in the school or something like that. At least Toby suspected it and didn't want to go back to it. That, that, and also I guess does did talking to Keith Galloway, like kind of put a face to what potentially went on at that school. And is that why you kind of felt that small victory and getting him shook, getting that, 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 that information or that reaction from him? Is that part of that, or is that just your work ethic and feeling like you made progress? Uh, I think, I mean, Derek is convinced that Keith isn't really at fault. He was probably like manipulated. Like he's not innocent, of course, but he's not the main target here. But seeing him uh, so shaken definitely says, okay, we're on the on the right track for one. And also, this is big, and we we need to move forward. Has he put any thought on what or who could be the main target? Mm, or is that a scary? Not thought? really, not really. Like the scary thought to him is currently what happened, not who did it. Like he he still isn't sure what exactly happened, and that, there are like so many terrible options that he can't even fathom that. I don't think he like spends time on who did it. He doesn't even know how many people were involved. Is it just like one rich asshole or like, is there um, an occult ring that (laughs) tries to summon demons or whatever? You know, um, I mean, joking right now, but (laughs) he he definitely has like these, he uh, dramatizes it in his head. So one final question about that before Mm -hmm. we continue on, what does that make him feel then about Jerry Hagberg and Miss Walkstetter? trying to get you to work with these folks and what their motivations may be he isn't sure about that like if he had more time he would probably like call them right now (laughs) but currently he doesn't feel like he has the mental capacity for it um but yeah um to me to him it feels kind of like that they both at least suspect something if he is going on and they feel like michael and his company can can do good which I'm sure is why also one of the reasons why you have that trust of these individuals too at this time. So what are you doing right now? You know, you have a potential meal and you're in your parents' apartment or you got the darkness and, and warmth of your bedroom upstairs. He's going to check on his parents first, um, but his plan is to probably get a shower before he like grabs whatever is left over for him. So he can just lean back in a blanket probably and enjoy his meal and 
maybe fall asleep in front of the TV and then eventually move to bed. Like he, he doesn't have much planned for today. So when you go to your parents' apartment, do you just walk in usually or do you knock on the door? Uh, I think he would like ring the bell, but mm. then use his own keys to get in. Um, get in. Yeah, he has like, he has his own set of like how he rings the bell. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like, it the- like three times and then a pause <laughs> and then again. I mean, your parents are long past the age of having to worry about walking in, but yeah, it's still polite to let them know in case I have like a serious discussion or something to that extent. Yeah. So you do your customary like quick two rings of the doorbell and then you put the key in and you unlock it and you walk in and you right away you're hit with the smell of like of, of food. Like, like just this warm, like this warm wave of like, and you know, right away what it is, is your mom making cream of chicken, which is like one of like a, a German meal that like she learned from her parents and her parents learned from theirs. And you can even smell like homemade bread coming from within this small apartment kitchen. And with how small the confines of this kitchen are, it's just like, it smells delicious. It's, it's, it's just all through the room. And you see like an odd sight. You see like the dining room table, this small kind of like square table where two people can sit on each side is is set up right now with like a tablecloth has like a one of those like plastic tablecloths that are kind of put over that has like flower patterns over it. And you see that there's three sets of silverware that are set up with glasses. And there's even like some flowers that are in the middle of the pot, which means your mom had to probably go to a flower shop to get them that are in the middle of the table there. And you see that your dad looks at you from the TV when you open the door and you see that there is some show on you can't quite tell what the show is but you know it's definitely some pre-recorded tv comedy show like who's the boss because you can hear the audience generated laughter that they the laugh track that they play over like ha, ha, as it comes in and he just kind of looks up from you and you see that he has these brown chinos on and he has a tucked in plaid like red and black plaid shirt and he has his oxygen tank that's next to the the reclining chair that he's sitting on that's in front of the tv and it kind of has this clear plastic loop that goes and then he has it goes around his ears and he has two little hoses that go into his nose and he just kind of looks at you for a second and then he looks back at the tv and then you see your mom who's actually not in her work clothes anymore she has a pair of like jeans on and a sweater and you can see her from behind the counter and she just looks at you she's like oh Oh my God, you're just in time. And she's like, your timing is absolutely perfect. And she kind of like, you see, she takes this towel and she like wash, uh, wipes her hands real quick. Like she had just got done rinsing something in the sink and she walks into the living room to give you a hug as you come in. Hey mom. <laughs> and she hugs you and squeezes you and like reaches up and pecks you on the cheek. And then she turns around. She's like, go oh, have a seat. We're almost done here. And she, and then she goes and she, and you hear this sound from the couch or from the chair that you usually don't hear that often. And it's the sound of your father getting up from the chair He's using this little walker cane that he has to like help himself up from the chair. And he goes and he's m- making his way slowly towards the table while he's pulling his little oxygen tank that he has. that has like on a set of wheels as he's pulling it towards the table with him so he can sit down, which is something that you haven't seen in a while. Your dad's sitting at the table because usually what your mom will do will bring the uh, the dinner to him and put on a TV tray so that he can eat it, you know, in his chair while he's watching TV. And he goes and sits down like in the spot that like. When he was sitting for a while, he, you know, he sit, he would sit down on, but you notice now there's like a cushion that's like a three inch cushion that sat on there, maybe to help alleviate some of the pain of his back when he's sitting on there. And he just sits and your spot is usually across from him on the table. And he's really just kind of looking at the TV still, like he's not really looking at you, 
right now, but he's like trying to keep his eyes on the TV. And it's almost awkward because you know that he sees you there, like you're making your way towards the table, but he's not quite wanting to look at you right now. And then you see your mom coming from the kitchen and she has these oven mitts on and she has like this crock pot that's like she's holding from both handles and she kind of sets it on this mat that's on the table so it doesn't burn, you know, melt the tablecloth or make any mark on there. And she lifts it. You can smell that that cream, that thick cream that's in there and you can smell the chicken in there. And then she comes and gets this loaf of bread that she has like on a cutting board and she kind of sets it there. And it's the type of bread where she would have to use, she would have to use one of those bread knives, the electric bread knives that like, that are almost like, almost like edge trimmers. And she's sitting there, she cuts a piece of it and you hear it go as it cuts the bread and she's like, sit down, sit down. And while you sit down, she's like scooping you some of the chicken already and some of the cream and then puts this big piece of bread there for you. And she moves, slides over this butter tray, you know, those old trays that are like ceramic where you lift the top and there's like a stick of butter that's already kind of room temperature. And then you see she, your dad on his own, which is kind of unique, reaches and grabs the 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 handle of the spoon and kind of like scoops up some of the cream of chicken in there and gets himself a piece of bread as your mom sits there. And she, and before you know it, you guys start eating. Do you eat or you see, you notice your mom and your dad start eating before, you know, kind of like you have a chance to say anything. <laughs> what are you doing? So as, as they just kind of start, I just try to make conversation a little and bring up. So this seems like a special occasion. And when you say that, you know, your dad's like looking at the TV, you know, in between bites and you see, he does this thing that he used to do to you when you're younger, where like his left eye almost like, turns the opposite direction of where he's looking and kind of like looks at you you know it's not like any kind of skill but he just seems that way i mean you see the strong hazel eye look at you and then you see him kind of like turn his face towards you and then he looks down and he takes another bite and you hear your mom she takes this napkin that she has in her lap and she kind of wipes her lips for a second she's like well it's funny that you mentioned that she's like i it was my idea for this and you she's just looking at you for a reaction for a second I mean, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> she just laughs. Yeah, cooking is fantastic as usual. Well, thank you. Listen, Derek, and I, ha- your dad doesn't know why I did this either, so we're not trying to uh, bombard you here, but I'm concerned about this job that you have, especially seeing that news report on TV about that guy who got in the wreck. I don't know why you're admin about doing this. So what is your concern exactly? Well... Derek, the fact that I saw someone had someone chasing after him, they have video footage. That's what caused a wreck. And you say you work with that guy. Again, I don't understand when you have spent enough time working in trade labor that you can find another trade labor job. Okay. A couple of things. Trade labor is dead. Like that, that's why the company is going bankrupt. All my, my colleagues they, from before, they, they have nothing. What was the name of my um, of the one guy who drove me home or who I drove home? Oh God, I can't remember his name. Brian, it is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, one of my uh, colleagues from there. He has like he has family, but the only option he really has is join the military. He won't see them like ever. There's other jobs here in Bismarck. There, come on now. You, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to expect that every person who's ever worked any trade labor job here in the city is only options to join the military? No, I mean, of course not. But So why do you put your life at risk? 
What, what am I supposed to think as a mother, knowing that now when if you don't come back, usually the normal time that you'd come off of work, that you might be like that poor guy who's in that wreck? So far, I haven't put my life at risk. So far, it's only been a day, Derek. Yeah, I. I mean, what? what I don't. I don't. Uh, I didn't want this to happen, but. But you said yes to it. So as a mother, what am I supposed to think that you put yourself in this situation? Why didn't you say no? I mean, you know we're here for you, right? We could take care of you. But I, I need to build something for myself. And I'm surrounded with good people. We look out for each other. Derek, I am your mother. They can't. They couldn't look out for their friend. And then all of a sudden you hear when she they says, go ahead. They weren't there. They're not going to be around you the whole time. And then you just hear this smack on the table. Like, 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 and you see her dad's hand just like hit the table. You see like the silverware jitter a little bit. You see like the glass of water that he had almost like tilts over. And there's a moment where like, you think he's angry at you because he's looking at you. And then you just see him like do that look towards your mom. And you see a moment you're like, you see your mom stop and she like looks super tense for a second. Like she tenses up and then she looks at your dad and your dad is just staring her down. Like there's a, like this weird unspoken communication that's going on. And then he gets like, almost like you see his face get frustrated and he like takes this like nose, the oxygen thing out of his like nose. And he like takes it and like throws it on the ground and he gets up with his walking stick and he goes towards his chair and he reaches in the side pocket where like magazines and remotes are. And you see him pull out like a pack of cigarettes with like a lighter. And then he goes and he like wobbles his way back to the dining room table and he sits back down. And like your mom's quiet this whole time. She's just like looking at him like awestruck. And he lights a cigarette with a Zippo lighter. And you see there's a moment he closes his eyes and he just like lifts his head up like he's basking in like the flavor of the tobacco. And he breathes it out. And then he stops for a second and he opens his eyes and he looks at your mom and he's like, Molly, what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to live here with us until he's our age? And you see your mom looks at him. And she's like, well, of, co- of course not. But he doesn't shut up, Molly. And you see, like, put some of the ash, like, in the leftover food that's, like, in his plate. And he looks at you. And he's like, I know you know we're not going to be around. Well, at least me for that much longer. So, and he looks at your mom. You're going to keep him confined here because you're scared. And you're going to mother hen him. He needs to go out on his own. And you see there's a moment your mom just, like, takes the napkin and you see she kind of like looks down in her hands while her hands ring in the napkin. And you see like he puts his arm around your mom and he kind of like pulls her in a little bit while he has the one cigarette in his hand. And he looks up at you. He's like, you're going to be safe out there, right? Yeah. Look, it's, it's a new experience. With my previous job, I was constantly surrounded with very dangerous things, but it was all in my hands. Like, uh, if something had happened, it would have been probably my fault. And now, of course, the danger is more unknown. But like for the first time, I'm surrounded with people who I know they want me to succeed. Because when I succeed, they succeed. It, and for that reason, it's a perfect job. It's great. Like the, It's a really good workplace. I don't have to... I don't have to suck it up when my boss is shitty to me or something like that. You see your dad looks at your mom again and she's like, you raised him right. He's good. 
And then she like you see it for a second, she looks down. You can see like she's crying just a little bit. And then she wipes her the tears up from under her eyes and she looks at him and she smiles. And you know it's like a genuine smile that they have between each other. And she's like, Okay. She's like, How about some dessert? I got some, I got some cake here. I got some German chocolate cake. Let me go get some. And then she gets up and you see her dad just kind of look at you for a second and he smiles at you. And then he puts the hose back into his nose as he puts out the cigarette and some of the cream that's still left on his table. And we get to say you guys have a pleasant dinner while you guys sit there and eat. After dinner, do you just choose to go to bed and kind of like shower and go to bed and relax for the rest of the night? I probably watch like a show with them just to have everyone calm down. Yeah, Different Strokes comes on. It's a show that you know your makes your dad laugh a lot, you know. What you talk about, Willis? He actually kind of always cracks up when that happens. Yeah, not much is going to happen, but there's just some quiet family time happening. But yeah, then he he's going to shower and turn in rather early, probably. So while you're showering, what's going on in your head about the conversation that you saw from your dad and your mom? Are are, are you processing it? Or are you just too tired at this point? You're just like, I just need to shower and go to bed. Or are you thinking he's, about it? He's kind of annoyed because it's it's like the second time this was brought up. Moms and, are persistent, right? <laughs> yeah. And he hopes like that eventually things will calm down. And also he he doesn't want to he doesn't want to let it have any effect on him right now because he doesn't want to let his uh, his new pals down and he doesn't want to be like a downer. He doesn't want to show up um, being like, what if what if we get uh, in another car crash just like Jay? Uh, he he feels like he he can't work on that with that attitude. So he doesn't want to let it get to him. Why, what about your, I, I mean, you know, too, also, I would say from like your dad, like inputting himself in the conversation like that, it probably stopped all future all future communications from your mom about the subject. I think your dad, you could take away that your dad was frustrated at the fact that she kept grilling you and wouldn't accept it, you know, and that he probably feels that he, they've kept you under their wing too much. He's like, you know, he feels his guilt. You've always felt this tension between you and him because of like him not being able to work, you know, and how it hurts his pride, stuff like that. So he probably on the flip side of that same coin feels a sense of guilt, the fact that you have to like be around the nest still and you can't go out and, you know, discover who you are on your own, like him and others have had opportunities to in their lives. Yeah, but like Derek doesn't really appreciate his like aggressive attitude sometimes. Oh, for sure. He feels like th- they are pulling him apart. Like uh, his mom wants a piece of little Derek and his dad wants Derek to get out and uh, do something productive and make the most out of his life so like he's stuck between them and it's, it sometimes just feels like they aren't really asking him questions they're just arguing over each other that's a very good observation because i think it's that classical sense of people who like from the outside would see surface level like oh look at their perfect family they got this well-behaved son who works and they you know they get along but really behind that layer that surface layer of perception that there is you know, struggle going on, especially for you. You're kind of caught in the middle there between these two parents who, you know, at their core love you and they care about you, but their actions and the way that they kind of handle you are two completely polar opposite ways, like you said. And I'm sure it induces a lot of stress in, in a kid when they're in an environment like that, trying to make both happy. You know, you want the approval of making both happy. Very good insights. So we will cut next to Alex. So, Alex, you are in front of this door of this apartment. 
and you have this bottle of wine in your hand, you're dressed, you know, pretty well. You went home and with uh, Wayne and you got dressed up for this. Like what's going on in your head right now before you knock on the door? What's your, what, what are the thoughts that are running through your, through your head? Alex hasn't really ever had an actual date date. You know, there's a very big difference between dating someone and shooting up with someone you're having sex with. <clears throat> so very for true. him, this is a very weird sort of scenario. Yeah. Most of your women, even after you got clean, were like at the main bar or that's your interactions, you know, like the Carla's and all these folks like this. So like you never had, yeah, gotten, this is almost like something you see on TV, getting the bottle yeah. of wine. And or do you feel like that is like your, your compass right now? What you're going off of is like what you've seen in TV and movies. At that and what he's seen people do at the main, you know, he hasn't really been with anyone since he got clean. So this is kind of like jumping back into it for him and jumping into it in a way that he's never been involved before. So he's very nervous and not sure what to expect. So is there like two sides of this, of your thoughts going into this? Like one is obviously kind of like the professional way of like knowing that she works at the school and you, you know, your, your intent was like, okay, maybe I can get some information. But now is he also thinking like, wow, this is like a date date. You know, like you said, you're kind of like a little kind of like nervous about it. Is it like starting to like right before you knock on that door, you start to think, oh, wow, this is more than I figured I was getting into. Yeah. He feels a little in over his head. Yeah, definitely. He's, I mean, that, He's hoping he has a snorkel somewhere. Was well, a scary feeling too. I'm sure with someone like a snorkel somewhere, it's a very scary feeling. Like with someone like Alex, who is so used to having like the the backdrop of a bar, you know, to like be charismatic with someone. You know, you're used to working a crowd and seeing someone, but when it's like you in front of a quiet apartment door, you know, getting ready to knock on it, it says you and one person. I'm sure that's like that comfort blanket is almost not wrapped around you at the moment. Yeah, it's also very intimidating because he's like, this is a respectable woman and I am a shitbag. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, does he still have that self-doubt about himself? Does he still like kind of look at like hold the guilt about has that not completely? I mean, it, I'm sure it takes a long time to heal. Is that still a wound that's still kind of open at the moment? It's not necessarily a wound. It's just a, a self-assessment. You know, he he's an ex-druggie who, you know, occasionally commits B and E's to do stuff and get information. So he, he knows he's on the shadier side of things and he's okay ish with that, but he's still very well aware of like the difference in station and difference in like lifestyle. Well, especially in a town like Bismarck, you know, that has like a very small population. I think at this time it's like 50,000 to 60,000 people. So it's like you have someone who obviously had to go to school to be kind of like a counselor. And that's something that you don't see a lot in Bismarck too. Is like, you know what I mean? Like something like that. Yeah. School counselors, but whatever. And so, yeah, that, that, that line is definitely probably in the sand, you know, the, the railroad tracks of sorts and you're feeling it right now. But like your mom said, she seemed excited. It's a professional gal, you know, Wayne was nice enough to inform your mom of it. So here you go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here we go. So are you knocking on the door? <laughs> yeah, he'll take one last moment to, you know, make sure his shirt's straight, his everything's lined up nice, take a deep breath, and then... As you knock on the door, you he, there's a pause for, like, maybe, like, 10 seconds, and you hear, like, the sliding chain, you know, of, like, the second lock that they have on some of these apartment doors, and then you hear that deadbolt turn, and the door opens, and you see... You see Tina standing there in front of you. She has those high-waisted blue jeans, like guess blue jeans that girls used to wear back then that kind of like the little V shape. And she has this hot pink sweater on that kind of goes 
rather well almost with like her 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 freckles and her like ginger skin a little bit and her and her hair that she has her hair now isn't like she kind of had her hair when you saw her it was kind of it was naturally like wavy naturally curlish but now she has it down more so you see like go down her back more and she kind of has it like clipped on the sides to, so to make it like really kind of it's extravagant when you see it kind of fall back like a waterfall from back behind her head and she doesn't have any shoes on you see she has like these white ankle socks that have like the little pink neon like pink like little uh yarn balls that those socks used to have on the sides of them back in the 80s and you see behind her her living room and you can see that she has like a blue sofa there's there's like a bluish navy blue sofa and it's almost made of like a corduroy, corduroy material and you see that there's a little love seat too that's next to it there's this whitish carpet that's underneath the sofas but you as you can look on the floor you see there's like a it's like that laminate wood that is meant to look like real wood and she has that white carpet and in, uh, in her living room you see she has a tv that's on a tv stand that has a v- vcr underneath it that has the indicator of the time right now but the tv's off and you can kind of hear music playing in the background and you can't quite like make out what the music is but it's definitely not hard rock it's more of like a top 40s you think it might be paul abdul but you can't guess if it's either her or janet jackson but you can definitely hear it coming from the kitchen and like a little boom box that she has and then when you look you'll see that actually like you can kind of see the corner of the kitchen that's to the left and you can smell that it smells like something italian is coming from in there. You're not quite sure. And you see, she looks at the wine and you see her eyes like get big with the wine a little bit. And then she looks up at you and she's like, oh, well, thanks. I didn't expect you to bring anything. And she like kind of like reaches her hands out for the wine. I just wanted to be polite and he'll hand her the bottle. She's like, I thought this was stuff that was only done in movies. I thought people bringing wine to apartments. This is this is great. And she's like, I don't think I, I don't have any wine glasses, but would you mind? Do you want something like a regular glass? Would that be okay? I'll take a mason jar. That's fine. Uh, okay, she just kind of like smiles at you. I don't have any of those, but I'll go see if I if I do. <laughs> she just was laughing, and you turn around. You see her turn around. She walks off. And you when you were looking at her when she is walking there, you can kind of see the, the the form of her body a little bit more than you could when you're at the school, and you can kind of see she's like rather slender and, and slightly curvy as she walks, especially like in the hip area as she walks towards the kitchen. And she turns around before she goes in the kitchen. She motions to like this little circular like table that's in the small dining area. She's like, hey, go ahead and have a seat here. And then she goes and you see her like open up the cupboard and you hear like rattling around a cupboard in the kitchen area. You can't quite see though from the dining area and you hear like glasses chinking together and you see she comes walking around she has like them clipped in two fingers like she's holding one hand and the bottle in the other she's like i'm sorry I, l- I left the mason jars at my moon shining distillery but i have these and you see they're just like normal you no know, glass cups and she sets one in front of you and then she sets one up where she's gonna be sitting probably across from you and she puts the bottle down on the table and she has like this corkscrew thing she's like i haven't done this in a while so you has gotta be patient with me and she kind of like puts a corkscrew in there and you see she's like trying to open it and finally here to see her pop and you hear the smell the wine coming from the opening you see like obviously it's not carbonated but you can see like a little moisture escaping from it when she does that and she goes and pours herself a little bit and she's like uh you, she's like tell me when to stop and she like takes your glass and she starts pouring a little bit and uh th- that's a that's good thanks all right and she goes ahead and puts it down and the- <laughs> smooth but cool <laughs> anyways she goes ahead and she goes she puts the cup down on the table and she's like okay i'm gonna go uh spaghetti spaghetti okay that's what i decided to make that's what i'm good at i'm not that great of a cook but i can make spaghetti yeah spaghetti's fine all right i got some breadsticks in here i'm gonna be pulling them out here soon all right and she like do, go- do you need a hand with anything i can 
Uh, yeah, come on in. And she just like stops for a second. She's like, God, you're so polite. Like, really? Like, it must be a private eye thing. I don't know. Yeah, come on. You can help uh, strain the noodles. They're just like, they're done right now. Okay. Sure, sure. I'm happy to help. And as you walk in the kitchen, she like hands you the strainer, you know, the where you have like the mesh and you can put the noodles in there and the water comes out. Check like, here. That's your job right there. Okay. I'm going to get these. I'm going to get the breadsticks out of the oven. That's the sauce right there. And she's like stirring it in the, in the pan a little bit. She's like, it's ragu, but you know, whatever. Right. And she just smiles at you. And then she goes and takes the breadsticks out. You hear like the oven open up as she like takes some oven mitts and goes ahead and pulls out the breadsticks and. She's like, takes a plate. She's putting them on there while you're straining. And she's like, here, you can put the, she's like pointing above you. It's kind of cramped. So like when she like goes and points to where the cupboard is, where to put the bowl, get the bowl to put the spaghetti noodles in, she like kind of brushes up to you a little bit, like, like not intentionally, but you can kind of feel that weird, you know, that personal space crossage that's happened. And, and she realizes it and she looks at you for a second, this awkwardness, you know, cause like her, her, her elbow kind of brush against your shoulder a little bit and kind of close to you. And she's like, Oh um, yeah, yeah, but that's the bowl right there. And she's like, go ahead, open up that cupboard right over there and you'll see a bowl in there. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Okay. And he'll uh, kind of have a momentary wait. What, what, what just happened? <laughs> Did yeah. she touch me? What's yeah. going on? <laughs> I know it's this weird moment. Like you guys had like an electric shock a little bit there, you know, but you guys are soon go, you get the bowl and you put the spaghetti noodles in there and she gets like the pot. She puts like the sauce on the, you know, in the bowl on there and she's, you know, goes and she takes into the kitchen and you, you're you holding like the breadstick plate or whatever. And she sets it down there and she go, she puts two plates for you guys and you guys start serving each other. And then she, before she takes a bite, she's like, so, uh, yeah, I, when when do we start talking about what happened today? Or do we just pretend like we talk about other things? I'm not sure. You're the first person I've ever had a man I've had over to my apartment to make dinner for. So I'm not sure how this works. I was hoping you'd have an idea. We could talk about it now if you want. Yeah. And she see she looks down at the plate and you can hear her fork like hit the plate as she like jabs it in there. She starts like spinning it to collect some of the spaghetti and she's using a knife to like kind of help her out. And she takes a bite and you, you see she's thinking for a second. And then she like takes a little sip of the wine and she's like, well, okay. So my thing is what, what led you guys to looking into this? Money mostly. Like someone hired you for this then? Obviously. Yeah. You could say that. I'm not going to ask who, because I understand it's a confidentiality thing. Like, listen, and you see, there's a moment she's looking at you for a second. Give me a wits and composure. Give me wits and composure roll, please. Two successes and one of them's a 10. Are we re-rolling 10? Yeah. Does that count as two? Okay. You can re-roll 10. So, yep. Okay. So that's three successes. All right. So you see for a moment, she's stopping and you can tell by like, because you had a moment of awkwardness, a moment of kind of like honest, like shock that you two, when you kind of bumped into each other, but you see right now, like she just got done chewing and she swallowed and she's looking at you and you could tell almost by how her eyes squint a little bit, like she's sizing you up, but you realize she's doing that because she's not sure almost like in a way, like she's not sure she can trust you. You saw this look a lot from drug dealers when you were like a drug addict and you were trying to go buy smack off people and you knew you didn't have money. Or you didn't know you didn't have enough money. You're trying to like swindle, like convince them to give you something. And you see, like, usually they would look at you, but they weren't good at hiding their emotions. But they were like looking at you to size you up and see if like you're really bullshitting them or if you really got something that can get them some money. And you see, she's looking at you like that now. And it's a look that you've had to deal with quite a bit in your life. A look of like, is this person worth my trust? Is this person worth me open, being open and confined, being open to with whatever my concerns are? All right. So... When I realize that from her, I'll stop for a moment. And in between bites, it's just, you know, there's 
there's a family that's really concerned about one of their kids and we're just trying to make sure that we can set things right you know they really want us to figure out what happened and do you think this is a systemic issue at the school or do you think it's just an individual issue you know we don't know that's what we're trying to figure out you know we got to kind of explore all of our options here what were you like as a kid Alex will start start laughing. Oh God, I almost snorted some. uh... (laughs) She's like, here. She like put some napkins, like you know those napkin napkin holder things with the the paper napkins, and she kind of like pushes her. There you go. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. You know, I was I was a smart ass as a kid. Got me into a lot of trouble. Uh, You know, it was kind of tough. New country, new people. New country, huh? Where did you come from? I yeah. uh, My family's from Russia. No way, really. So you're and you're how old were you when you came to the states? I was just a kid. I don't remember exactly. Oh, rather young. Yeah. You know what they say about being a smartass? They say that usually is a sign of intelligence, right? No, I've never heard that. I've heard quite the opposite. Really? I, I, you know, some even say it's a sign of being perceptive. I mean, sure. Most of what I was perceiving was a slap to the backside of my head, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> she like laughs. So why what made you become a private eye then? You know, I had a I had a pretty tough time the past few years and a uh, very good buddy of mine was a cop. Is well, yeah, he's a private eye now. But uh you know, he and uh, my family kind of shook some sense into me and he uh offered me a job and here I am. Well, yeah, I was you- working as a bartender before that. Oh, you well, that's probably someone who's very good at speaking to people right so is that what kind of drew you to being a private eye is that you're good at communicating with people i yeah i'm very chatty oh would you say you're observant too like you're able to observe a lot and everything from when you're like a bartender having to kind of like <laughs> keep an eye on things that helps you out as a private eye too sometimes yeah i bet so what have you observed about the school and you see again like she's looking at you again without look oh I, I know i'm not welcome there <laughs> and she just kind of like, and you see at that moment where she kind of like snickers and yeah, looks down at her spaghetti. You can kind of see that's a, like a genuine, like, you know, like her uh, instant response. And she goes and twirls some more spaghetti and like takes a bite when she looks up at you. And she's like, do you have any theories of what happened to Toby? No, not yet. It's, it's too early for us to really have any theories. We're just sort of piecing what we can together right now. I mean, I mean what do you think happened? What's, what have you noticed, if anything? Well, you know, like I said, there's Billy and he opened up to your friend Wayne there. And I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like you asked to go look at something in the school and my curiosity is getting the better of me because to me, it's like, seems like there's more than just wanting to talk to people who saw Toby that you might have suspicions about things. Well, you know, there's, there's a degree of suspicion that's required for my line of work. So, I mean, don't take it personally. It's not, Oh, it's not personal. Trust me. It's not personal. But, But my thing is, and you see, there's a moment she put like wipes her mouth off with a napkin and puts it down a little bit. She takes a sip of her wine and she looks at you. She's like, my thing is, uh, from my understanding, if someone's missing from somewhere, you won't spend too much time looking at the place they ran from. You'd be looking at places you think they're from. So I guess my question is, why, why are you intent on wanting to have looked around the school more? Don't you think they exhausted their own means of trying to find them there? Uh, you know, I don't think so. Did it? They they seem kind of uh, kind of like they would just give it a cursory glance, and then it would not be their problem anymore. You I mean, know, fill to, out the forms, check the boxes, mail off the sheet, and be done with it. I mean, it has to speak volumes that they didn't notify the police, right? Absolutely. 
And honestly, if you want to figure out where someone's going, it's usually a really good idea to, you know, figure out where they came from. Did Wayne tell you about his talk with Billy? Uh, in general terms, not, not too much in detail. Did Billy say something to you after we left? Well, Billy's hinted at things to me before. Like what? And she's looking at you for a second. What did, what did Wayne tell you? Uh, just that he and Billy chatted and that he was worried about uh, what some of the things Billy said. And then he had a cigarette and <laughs> wandered off and thought. Yeah. Listen, and you see there's a moment. There's like this really long pause as she's looking at you again. I'm taking a gamble here. And you see a moment she looks at the glass of wine and then she picks it up and just like slams the rest of it down. And she sets the glass down and she kind of twirls it and she's looking at it and she's looking up at you. There may be someone else in the school with me who's concerned about things going on. And we may be very happy that there's an outside group looking into it like you all. And we may be willing to help. Oh, We think that there's a video security system in the school. And this person who I know may have access to it. And we're thinking about trying to look back. The, the, the tapes go back about six months. And see if we can find any sign of when Toby left the school. That's pretty high tech. Um, who's who's this other person? Don't rush yourself, mister. And she smiles. <laughs> <laughs> I've made you dinner. Don't ask for too much, all right now? But I can tell you that there's someone else at the school who's going to, who who I've talked to today, and we want to help. The thing is that we want to make sure that there's an agreement that if we feel that we come across something at the school or someone to talk to and we call you guys, that you guys will come and help and call and speak to the person and not forget this just because you run into a dead end. Alex will put down his fork and he'll take one of her hands in two of his. Tina, we will definitely, absolutely help. And she smiles at you and you slowly pull your hands away and finish your dinner. Do you enjoy games of humanity fighting against the supernatural, literally? Then you'll definitely like our game Corruption. This Hunters Hunted 2 game is set in Washington, D.C. and follows an eclectic group of hunters who bond together through their brushes with the supernatural. 